If you have your Bible today, turn to the New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to start a new series on Colossians today. Kids, you can go to Children's Church, and um, we're going to look into the Scriptures as adults and see what God has for us today. I um, would like to just say this word to you. Um, I realize not everybody packs a Bible, even the church anymore. Uh, a lot of you have electronic devices that have your Bible on it, and you uh, look at that. Uh, bring something, because we're going to be looking at the Scriptures, and I think you'll retain it better if you see it, either electronically or in the written page. And uh, so I would encourage you to do that from week to week. Um, today we're going to have kind of a introduction to this series, and... Uh, Next week, we'll kind of dig more into it in terms of what it says verse to verse. Our theme is, above all, Jesus. And I would like to read uh, for you from verses 1 through 14 of Colossians chapter 1. I invite you to follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from uh, Epaphras, our brother, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray that as we look at these verses today, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would open our hearts to receive not only what you uh, wrote to the Colossian believers uh, 2,000 years ago through Paul, but Lord, what you have written down for us, that we might understand it, that we might apply it in such a way that we are changed by it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is an interesting study, as we will begin to see today.
First of all, I want you to understand that uh, a church is planted is the first point today, and you'll find that in your outline. We see that in the text. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. Um, He was there from about 53 to 55 A.D. And it was a difficult ministry, but it was also a fruitful ministry. There were many people who came to faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel there. In Acts 19, verse 10, it says, This went on for two years. Well, that picks up after he'd been there a year already. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And the province of Asia includes Colossae. So what happens is we see here, kind of reading between the lines, is the Apostle Paul preached the gospel to believers in Ephesus. They in turn then took the gospel and went back home with it. And Epaphras, or Epaphras, however you want to say it, uh, was apparently from Colossae, as was Philemon. And apparently they went back to Colossae with the good news of Jesus, and their people became followers of Christ as well. Which is a good lesson for us, isn't it? Bloom where you're planted. Take the gospel where you go. Where you go, the gospel travels. You are, uh, have gospel will travel people. So uh, some of you have already practiced that. You know, the Bourbons went back to the Philippines a few months ago. And uh, there, uh, Gigi was able to lead her dad to Christ. And he had been quite ill. And, uh, you know, take it with you. It's good news. People need good news today. Say, you know, we've got a lot of bad news in the world. Let me give you some good news. Tell them about Jesus. Uh, If you want to have more information about Paul's ministry in Ephesus for those three years, I encourage you this week to read Acts chapters 19 and 20. And those two chapters of the book of Acts cover uh, his ministry in Ephesus. The city of of, uh, Colossae was located about 100 miles north of Ephesus. Ephesus was near the coast on the Mediterranean, whereas Colossae was inland. A couple hundred years before Paul came along, it had been really a, a big metropolis and a very, very vibrant city. In the 200 years after that, it kind of declined somewhat, and Ephesus kind of took its place. But nonetheless, it was still a commercial crossroads, and there were roads literally that went through Colossae that went to other parts of the Roman Empire. And so it was a natural place to sow, plant the gospel, and for the gospel then to spread throughout the Roman Empire. It was also a melting pot. Not just a melting pot of nationalities, but a melting pot of religions and philosophies. So five years after this church is planted, the Apostle Paul is a prisoner in Rome. And if you want to find out how he got there, this week read Acts chapters 21 through 28. That gives you the whole scene of of what he went through and how he ended up. In prison, he was there basically uh, because uh, of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the uh, reaction of the Jewish legalizers 
uh, to his ministry and false accusations. And finally, he'd had enough. And he says, I appeal to Caesar. And so they shipped him off to Rome. And during his first imprisonment, he's under house arrest. He's not in a dungeon. Uh, he is under house arrest. And uh, so he has the ability there to continue to function and to preach the gospel to the people who came to visit him. Apparently, Epaphras visited him there in Rome. Possibly Philemon did as well. And they did that to report on the spiritual condition of this baby church in Colossae. And uh, the news was troubling to the Apostle Paul. So we find that not only was a church planted, but a burden was developed. Uh, a burden for this young church developed in the Apostle Paul. And uh, it kind of looked this way. False teachings had infiltrated the church. There were teachers who came in who added, wanted to add things to Jesus Christ and who he was and why he came. And isn't that true of everywhere the Apostle Paul went? Every time he planted a church somewhere, false teachers came in and tried to build on what he'd already established and tried to confuse the saints. You know, Satan always sees to that. If he can keep us blind to truth or confused about truth, he will do that. You know, he can't have my soul, but he'll battle like crazy to have my mind. And he will also battle like crazy to have your mind as well, to at least confuse you to the truth. The false teaching at Colossae kind of looked this way as near as we can tell. There was an extreme form of Judaism and legalism that had crept in. And, of course, that was true of almost everywhere Paul went. The legalists followed him and said, yeah, you can believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, but you also have to be circumcised, become Jewish, follow all the Jewish laws, all the ceremonies, and everything else. So they tried to make a, a, a hybrid of Christianity. We find also apparently there was a form of astrology or angel worship that was involved. Now, Paul doesn't necessarily specifically mention these things, but the things that he emphasizes in teaching about Jesus Christ in the book, as we will see, address these issues. These, uh, this worship of angels, apparently, uh, they believed that angelic beings ruled the stars and influenced the affairs on earth. And so they tacked on to Christianity, faith in Christ, not only Jewish legalism, but a form of astrology. And then they added something else to it, a form of early Gnosticism. Gnosticism was something that emphasized secret knowledge. Faith in Christ isn't enough. You've also got to know this, these secret things. And these secret things uh, can only be known by a certain few people. They taught that salvation is escape from the body because the body is evil. And salvation is achieved not by faith in Christ, but by gaining this special knowledge. Because of that, Christ's humanity was denied. 
because the body and matter is evil, Jesus could not have been a man. He could not have had a human body. Um, and so that's basically was part of their teaching. And the Apostle Paul refutes Gnosticism, this early form of Gnosticism, uh, in the book of Colossians. Now, the form of Gnosticism that was being taught and promoted at, F at uh, Colossae was not the same Gnosticism that developed in the second and third centuries. That was a more developed form of it. This is kind of a beginning form of Gnosticism. But nonetheless, the seeds were there to confuse early Christians. And then there was something else. There was a reliance on human wisdom. This was a natural thing that appealed to people in the Greek culture. They loved uh, to have knowledge. They pursued knowledge. Now, there's nothing wrong with pursuing knowledge. But there is something wrong with pursuing knowledge and wisdom at the expense of truth. So the Apostle Paul confronts each of these things in this letter, as we will see. This was a threat to the church. The false teachings were attacks on who Jesus was and is and why he came, what he accomplished for them. It distorted the truth. It created confusion. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, Paul wrote to them and he says, Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers of author or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven making peace through his blood shed on the cross. These verses really point out a couple of things. One is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He has supremacy over all things. That's what it means when it's first born over all creation. He is supreme. He is preeminent over all creation. He created all things. And it talks about thrones or powers or authorities, or rulers or authorities. These are different classifications of angels in Scripture. So he addresses the whole issue of angelic beings in that statement. He has authority over them. He is supreme over them. Every, he created everything. And he holds everything he created together. And he's the head of the church. And he arose from the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And then look at this statement. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Everything has been reconciled to God potentially through the death of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. Robin is going to be speaking on this passage in a couple of weeks, and I think you're in for a treat to focus on those verses and and the truth that is in them. We won't take time to focus on them anymore today. To the false teachers in Colossae, Jesus was not the very Son of God come in human flesh. But he was just kind of one of God's many emanations. In other words, God had revealed himself over time in many ways through many people. And Jesus was just one of those. Does sound familiar to you? Sounds to me like the New Age movement. If you take the time to read uh, the writings of uh, New Age teachers, this is basically what they have to say, or even Eastern religions have a lot to say about that particular subject. And uh, there's nothing new. False teaching, error, is not new. You can't find any teaching that's brand new. It's all based in something, some lie of Satan that he has concocted over the centuries. It always just it's just a rerun, rehash of the same old, same old. But sometimes it's it's couched in new language or or new symbols, uh, and it continues to generation to generation bring new confusion, sometimes even among Christians. And so the Apostle Paul had a, a, a burden, a growing burden for these believers at Colossae because at best they were confused about who Jesus is and why he came. They were being confused by false teachings. And so a letter is written. So Paul writes to them, 60 A.D. And again, as I mentioned earlier, he is a prisoner in Rome. Uh, And so he writes this letter in 60 A.D., and he sends it back to Colossae through Epaphras or Epaphras. And he had come with concern for the church to Paul to report. And Paul writes the letter, sends it back to him, says, be sure and give it to him. Read it publicly in your church services. This is for them. So in this letter, he addresses the false teaching. Now, again, he doesn't say, this is what you are to say to the astrologers. This is what you are to say to the Gnostics. He combats these false teachings by doing one specific thing. He does it by exalting Jesus Christ, by reminding them who Jesus is and why he came. And I want to encourage you as you interact with people in your oikos. We have a tendency to think we have to argue people into the kingdom of God. We have a tendency to think that we have to be able to refute everything that they may embrace as error I would encourage you not to try to do that. If they ask questions, answer them. But the main thing we are here to do is to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and why he came, to exalt him, 
to his rightful place. And when we do that, God uses that in the lives of people to erase the false notions that they may have, that they, to erase the confusion that they may have. We will never do that by arguing with them. We are here to exalt Jesus Christ to his rightful place, just like Paul did in his letter. Therefore, we've entitled this series of messages, Above All, Jesus. Above All, Jesus. So a letter is written, and then forth a prayer is offered. And we're going to be looking at this prayer for the next two weeks. I'm just going to give you a brief summary of some things that I saw here in verses 9 through 14 this week as I thought about it. Let me read those verses again to you. And so from the day we, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays, first of all, that they would develop spiritual understanding. How do we develop spiritual understanding? By just hearing sermons? Well, hopefully God will use that to some degree. But we really develop spiritual understanding by studying the Word of God for ourselves and asking the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives in a practical way. If all you get in terms of spiritual food is what you get on Sunday for me, secondhand, you're not going to grow very fast. Oh, you'll grow some, hopefully. Hopefully God will use it. But when you learn to feed yourself, and you get into the Scriptures, and you study the Scriptures, not for information, but for transformation, you will find that you grow in spiritual understanding, not just in knowledge, but in spiritual understanding and wisdom. So Paul prays that they would develop spiritual understanding. And then he says in verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He prays that they would not only develop spiritual understanding, but they, they would demonstrate practical obedience in their lives. The problem most of us have is not that we don't know what the Bible says. It's that we don't do what it says we should do. The issue of practical obedience, our flesh, our will gets in the way. We want to do it our way, not God's way. We tend to treat God's commands as suggestions. And uh, the result is the gospel message is damaged. People, I'll put it this way, you're the only Bible some people read. Okay? And they get an idea of what the Bible says by what they observe in your life. And if you compromise in your life what God says, and you are not obedient to what God says, the gospel will be damaged. 
And that's particularly true in your oikos, the people who really know you. In your relational world, there are 8 to 15 people in your relational world that you have influence with. This is the natural place in your life to plant the seed of the gospel and to cultivate the seed of the gospel and to water the seed of the gospel. These are the natural, normal people for you to share the words of the gospel with. But if what, how you live contradicts what you say, that seed will never sprout and grow. So Paul prays for them that they would demonstrate practical obedience in their lives. Now look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Among other things, in these verses, I see a third thing that he offers in prayer for, and that is that they would demonstrate moral excellence and integrity. That they would demonstrate moral excellence. Listen, our last series of message talked about living the life. That the only way we can really live the Christian life is to allow Christ to live in us and through us. And this is the record that God has given to us, eternal life. And this life is where? In his Son. He who has the Son has what? Life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And if we have Christ in us, and he lives living through us, people will see moral excellence as we live our lives. People will see integrity in our lives. My dad was a, a good man. He was not only a good man, he was a great man. And uh, my dad was an architect, and he managed a medium-sized architectural firm uh, for many years. He said it was because he was too independent to work for anybody else. But he was a man of tremendous drive, and uh, my dad was not just an architect. He was a planner. Plan ahead. That was the, that was the family motto, plan ahead. So we learned to do that. When my dad was 60, about 60 years, maybe 62, he retired from his architectural firm. And it was going along really well. And he turned the management of the firm over to some of the young guys that he'd had on staff with him for many years. And uh, in the, the idea of the plan was that after five years they would buy him out. They would take over the firm. And these were good guys. I liked them all. 
Well, in the five years they managed the term, they ran the firm into the ground. And they ran up a huge debt. And the debt, a lot of the debt was to consulting engineers that dad had done business with for years. Firms that he had a personal relationship with, people that he liked, people who liked him, people he was friends with. And the firm owed them all of this money. So on the day, Dad went in to visit the, the guys, and they, they walked into his office, and they threw the keys to two brand-new automobiles on his desk and informed him they had decided they were no longer going to buy him out after the five years, which was coming up very soon. And people might fault my dad for not having some kind of an ironclad contract with these guys. My, my dad was a guy who grew up in the country, and uh, your handshake was your pledge. It was your worst. It was your, uh, it was your honor. Your honor was tied up in your handshake and your verbal agreements with people. So what's he going to do? They're going to declare bankruptcy and uh, walk away. My dad had this interesting idea that somehow your name was tied to your testimony. And so he decided that he'd go back to work. And he worked for another five to seven years to pay off that debt. He didn't take any salary out of the firm. He lived off of his investments. He lived off of his Social Security to protect the reputation of Jesus Christ in the community. My father was a man of integrity. God calls us to be people of integrity. This integrity comes from God working in us as he demonstrates his power to change us. Paul not only prayed for the Colossians, that they would have be people of integrity. He prays that for us 2,000 years later. Conclusions. God still desires that we have a growing spiritual understanding. God doesn't want us to be spiritual fatheads who have all this information that never filters down to how we live. But he does want us to have a growing spiritual understanding in our lives. God still works in us to demonstrate practical obedience. He hasn't given up on that principle. And God still works in us to develop moral excellence. And integrity. And I have news for you. We're all in process. 
You may say, oh, man, pastor, as I look at that, I'm just not sure whether I measure up. Well, we're all in process. And I would encourage you to be patient. Let God work in you to develop these qualities, as we will see as we study the book. Finally, we live in a culture of compromise. God has called us to take a stand. To stand for the truth. And to confront error and to confront false teachings, not in a combative, argumentative way, but by proclaiming Jesus Christ and who he is and why he came. To proclaim truth to the world. The world does not lack arguments. The world is not lacking for ideas and viewpoints. The world needs truth. Proclaim it. My uncle was a guy who could have lived at Colossae. He had, uh, this is my dad's brother, he had bought into just about every philosophy of man you could imagine and tried to mix it with Christianity. And one summer, I was between ministries. In fact, it was the summer I left Eastgate when I was here the first time, and I hadn't really started the church in Boise yet, and I was trying to support my family, so I worked for my uncle uh, taping sheetrock. I was young then. And at lunchtime, I would eat lunch with my Uncle Dick, and we would discuss philosophies and spiritual things. And I found that with my uncle... The best approach for him was not to argue with him. And my dad tended to argue with him because they were brothers. You know how that is. But I would say to him, and we would be talking about some issue, and I said, well, have you considered what the Apostle Paul said in this? And then I would quote the verse to him. I just let the truth speak for itself. I once heard a famous preacher use this whole concept and idea as a fact that, listen, if you're in a circus and people are attacking the lion in his cage, you don't stand there and protect the lion. You just open the door and let the lion out. <laughs> and, you know, that's what we do when we just simply share truth with people. Do it in a loving way. I had a neighbor who was a Christian science practitioner when we lived in Maple Valley. And his name was Chet. I liked him a lot. And uh, we had good talks together. And we didn't agree on most things. We didn't agree on politics. We didn't agree on, you know, obviously what the Bible taught. But he one day told me, he says, Brad, he says, I like talking to you because you don't argue. You just, we just are able to discuss things. There are two ways to disseminate truth. One is in your face, and one is in your heart, like this. The Apostle Paul exalts Christ for who he is, and in doing so, he lets the lion out of the cage. And it impacts the believers at Colossae. I want to follow, just uh, as we close, as Robin comes, I want to read to you some verses from Ephesians chapter 4. 
verse 11 through 15. This is my prayer for you. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? You didn't write that, I added it. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. You will either grow in your knowledge of God's word and your knowledge of the Son of God, or you will be blown around by every, what Paul describes as every wind of doctrine. Another passage, he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that text, he implies that unless you grow, you'll be blown around. You'll remain a spiritual infant. So get into the Word. Be students. Ask God the Holy Spirit to apply His Word and what you read to your life. Pick it up every day and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? How does this apply to my life? How do I need to change? God, help me to change in this area that I might produce the character of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank You for using the Apostle Paul to pin these truths to us. Help us to be people who grow in our understanding, who develop a practical obedience, and Lord, who can be used by you, by how we live, as a testimony for Jesus Christ. Help us this week to confront culture, with love and with truth. One without the other isn't sufficient. Love without truth can be weak, anemic. Truth without love can be abrasive, cause people to reject Christ. So help us, Lord, to have those two qualities as we live our lives this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.